Welcome to this week's edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey, The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, and I hope you and your loved ones are safe and as well as possible. Uh, Joining us this week is one of our favourite great Scots, I have to say uh, one of this week, uh, sports journalist, commentator and purveyor of Hodgespots, Stuart Hodge. So uh, there may be no football at the moment, nor for the foreseeable future, but there's still plenty to feed your football fix over at The Athletic. Those include my player and young player of the seasons. And we opened that up into a Premier League wide discussion on the Athletic website on Sunday evening. We had our own awards show, which was fantastic. That was after the player of the the main player of the year awards were postponed. Um, uh, plus, there's the latest column with Stoke defender James Chester and Rotherham boss Paul Warren as a player and a manager diary, their time and football issues in lockdown. It's a great weekly read uh, and of course Paul Warren is a fiercely Norfolk boy too. Uh, and if you want to read any of those yourself uh, the good news is you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days basically three months for free by going to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. So you know the format by now our Canaries chain gang began with Steve Morrison through Russell Martin and stopped off last week with a call to Andrew Croft who was excellent well worth a listen if you haven't already his nomination well they're on their way Stu how much are you looking forward to this week's guest? Now I've actually tinged with a wee bit of guilt with regards to this guest because it was someone that I was always sort of thought eventually our paths would kind of cross and we would get talking and so many times when I was doing the commentary for, for Norwich City I was sitting along the gantry and where I sat was about I don't know like, like five yards away from Chris Gorham and, and the Radio Norfolk team and this guy uh, was very often on as a summariser and I always thought Fellow Scott, as you've already alluded to. Exactly. So, uh, I, th- I think it would be one of those where I thought, like, we're going to come together and it will be a good crack when we do. But I never went over and opened that sort of topic of discussion um, and never never had the chance before to speak to the guy. So this is going to be a real buzz for me. This is exciting. This is, this is going to happen live on air. I can't wait. Yeah. Is there anything you're keen to find out from him or ask um, him about? Keep, keep listening and you'll find out. Oh. That's the way to play it. In that case, shall we go and get him, Stu? Yeah, ring him up, man. Here we go then. Uh, joining me and Mr. Hodge for our fourth Canaries chain gang is a man who finished his Norwich career unbeaten in seven games, six of them wins, three of them in the Premier League, by the way. Uh, he made 42 starts as Norwich claimed the League One title in 2009-10 and one from our own NCFC numbers, a.k.a. Steve Sanders. He made more appearances than all the Spaniards to play for Norwich City in the club's history put together. And yes, that is pertinent. Welcome to the On The Ball podcast, the King of Spain, Mr. Simon Lappin. Hello, Simon. Evening, Michael. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining myself and Stu on the podcast. Are you happy Andrew Crofts nominated you, first of all, Simon? Yes, I am. Uh, it takes me to say that he had... That's um, nice. And what a guy, what a guy. I listened to to last week and just listen to him. It still makes me laugh, just the sound <laughs> of his voice and his top, top guy. Great lad and a great player. It, it was a tad indulgent to play all of his Wes Hulan tribute video, <laughs> but I felt it needed to happen. I was quite adamant about that. Uh, and of course, you uh, you need to think about, but don't tell us now who you're going to nominate no, at the end. No, I'll, I'll, I'll have a little think over the course of the, the podcast and I'll let you know. Right, lovely job. Um, now, I'm sure you've been asked this quite a lot, but um, King of Spain as a nickname, yeah. are, are, you, are you actually happy with it? 
I'm over the moon with it. It's just one of these things that um, I don't know who came up with it. Um, I can remember the game. I've spoke about it before. Um, away to Colchester when I first sort of heard the song. Uh, the fans were singing that. Um, that but turned it, out well. Yeah, it was a great day, sure it was. Especially you got a bit of revenge for the, the first game of the season from that year. But it was that game, and my wife was at the game um, when we were on our way home, and she was saying, did you hear they're singing this song about you? But where it came from, I've got no idea. <laughs> but it's, it's stuck all this time. Uh, I was even uh, out the other day doing my social distancing and everything, picking something up, and somebody said, oh, King of Spain. And so it's stuck, and I'm sure it'll, it'll last a long time. Oh, I think it's stuck. Yeah, I don't think you'll be getting rid of that like ever. No, not at all. Not I mean, at all. the uh, the game at um, at Colchester, that game. That's there've not been many games I've stood in the away end for, but that that was it. Well, since since I basically got you know started working as a journalist covering the club, but that is one of them. It was a it was a remarkable game. That it was a lo- well. lovely day, wasn't it? It was a lovely. Oh. <laughs> there was everyone everyone was covered in mud after about the second minute I think and yeah. uh, I, I, the only surprise probably was that Paul Lambert didn't go for a full swan dive in front of the home fans because I think <laughs> he was he was literally on the brink of doing that yeah, up, yeah I think point. I think the rest of it the dog out maybe had to pull him back from doing that so <laughs> No, it was, it, was a, it was a great day, a great result. He spent the first 10 minutes of that game waving to the crowd. It was quite <laughs> remarkable. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of. Um, he does look a bit Spanish stuff going on on all the uh, message boards for about two or three months before that game. So I think that's proper viral, proper viral organic nickname, that, <laughs> which is great. Um I could take you straight back to the beginning, if I may. Um, of course. You know, not, not, many, not many players have joined Norwich from St Mirren. Um, we've got uh, the official fee. Do you know what the official fee was? Uh, I couldn't tell you. No. Uh, well, it's, it's written as, as seven hundred uh, seventy-five grand. Although I think somewhere had it's a hundred grand. And uh, can you can you remember how the move <laughs> and add-ons exactly? Can, can, can you remember all how it came about and and how how you how you felt about it when it was when it was getting sorted? Yeah, um, I think it was the day before my twenty-fourth birthday. In the January, I was, I was, my birthday's the 25th, so it was the 24th of January. Um, and my agent at the time had called me just to let me know that there'd been an inquiry through himself and whatever from Norwich City. Um, straight on to Google Maps or whatever it was at the time to see where the hell Norwich was. <laughs> um, and it just kind of materialised from there. I can remember my parents at the time where they were down in London for a few days just for a, for a trip. Um, and I can remember speaking to well, my now wife, which was my, my fiance at the time, um, and phoning them all and saying, look, Norwich are, are interested and blah, blah, blah. And it, it took four or five days for it to proper materialise. Obviously, the, the Norwich contacted St Mirren um, and it just went from there. And I can remember going into training. I can't remember what date it would have been. It would have been... The thirty first, sorry, the thirtieth of January. Yeah, and I can remember sitting in the dressing room. The assistant manager came in, a good friend of mine, Andy Mellon, and gave me the the curly finger as if to say, "Come here." And I knew that that's the last <laughs> time I was going to be in the dressing room. But then to see the manager and obviously wished me all the best. And we travelled down. Um, quite well with us and stuff. Loved him, Stuart. It was brilliant for me. Him and, him and Andy were just fantastic for my development at St Mirren. When 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 they came in, the club was sort of going nowhere and they just regalvanised things and I, I was part of that 
And again, mm-hmm. that, 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 that helped me obviously develop and, and earn my move to, to, to Norwich. So it was brilliant, Gus. Um, as I say, wished me all the best. Travelled down to Stansted and then up to, to Norwich to watch them play Wolves that night. And even just, I can remember walking from the train station round to the ground and the buzz around the place, the, the floodlights on and thinking, God, I, I fancy a bit of this. And, um, <laughs> watched the game and I can remember watching the game thinking, Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hack this because the, the pace of it, uh, the physicality of it was certainly different to what it was. I was just in Scotland. Um, some, some of the players you're coming up against I don't get wrong. The Scottish game, of course, it's it's physical as well. Football is a physical sport, but some of the guys I was coming up coming up against, you're just thinking, God, I need to get in the gym a bit to, to, to try and compete with some of these lads. <laughs> but uh, I watched the game. They played Wolves that night. They lost one 0 but they were actually excellent. Went back to the hotel and met Peter Grant, um, and he was absolutely brilliant with me. Just told me to come in and, and keep doing what I'd been doing in Scotland and, and what I had brought me to his attention just keep doing what I've been doing I uh, had the medical and everything the next day which seemed to go on forever I got picked up I think it was 6 o'clock in the morning and I eventually signed the contract it must have been about 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening it was just something I'd always wanted to do growing up um, and, and getting an opportunity to play football you know, a lot of lads will want to go and play for the old firm I always wanted to get the chance to, to play in England and I was fortunate enough that, that Peter Grant gave me that opportunity. Can you remember when you first uh, met Mark Fotheringham? Because the two of you got uh, unveiled at the same time. Yeah, didn't you, I, the same I, I'd, I'd known I'd known Fozzie in the Scottish under 16s team, uh, so I'd known him for a few years, um, but I'd never kept in touch with him or anything. Always said hello and had a chat whenever we were playing against each other. Um, but it's nice to have a friendly face when you arrive. In a new dressing room, you, you know what it's like, guys. And first day in a new job, um, it's always intimidating. You go in and you don't know a lot of faces, oh, especially yeah. some big names in that dressing room. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, and it is, you're sitting there, a bit of a nervous wreck, and I'm thinking I'll just keep my head down and I'll let people come over and introduce themselves. And for Fozzie's running around the dressing room, being the confident guy that is high fiving everybody and how you doing? I'm Mark Fotheringham, and he's straight in there. Whereas I just thought I'll keep myself to myself and. <laughs> Eventually, everybody did. They were great, really welcoming, and, and came over and saying how you doing and, and, and what have you. And no, it was brilliant, and, and they were all great. But as it's, it's certainly intimidating, I'm, I'm just thankful that back then, um, even though I've had to do it since, that there, there was no initiation song. It wasn't such a thing away oh, back then. That's disappointing, um, really. No, I, I, I never done it in Norwich because it wasn't <sighs> a thing there. But I've done it at every other club. In fact, just on that, me, Stephen Hughes. I think I've told us to somebody before it was a pre-season trip and we were in Germany and Stephen Hughes and myself we'd obviously had a few drinks at this point on, on our night out and we found a karaoke bar on a pre-season so, tour? last night last night Michael that's oh, uh, obviously that's being, changed. Profe- being professional throughout the week but <laughs> the, reward, the reward is always um, you can have a few beers in the last night yeah, cool, but anyway we found a karaoke bar in Cologne and um <laughs> We put our names down, but we were, the list was, I don't know, about 20 or 30 people. And I think we <laughs> we slipped the guy that was running it, maybe on a 10 euro note or something to get on quicker. 
we go on and start, I can't remember what we were singing but we get booed off so wow <laughs> we get booed off and they get microphones taken off us ouch ouch that's that's fair uh, so I, I just want, I want to tie one thing up when did you know Fozzie was joining Norwich I mean there must have been a point where you're like oh hello I mean was it literally when you were both in Norwich was it when you were having your medical or did you I know think, you were both heading down before no I think I had read it in the newspaper brilliant the, the two or three days leading up to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like this anymore in dressing rooms, but when I was at St Martin, even at Norwich, there's always newspapers around the dressing room. I suppose nowadays everybody has a phone. Yeah, I reckon. And they're yeah. not interested, but there's yeah. always newspapers lying about and oh. the little snippets. So I'd seen it in there uh, a few days after I knew the interest in myself. Uh, they definitely have. The, they definitely interested. Uh, definitely, the players are interested. They'll say they're not, but they definitely always are. And the, the other thing that got me there is you said Gus at St Mirren had the curly finger. Now, I, the first I ever heard of a curly finger <laughs> was with Alec Neal uh, right. when he was here, and they is made that a quite, Scottish tale? Well, this is it. Yeah, you see, it they, they they made a big thing of all oh, Alec Neal and his curly finger. You don't want to see that. And now I'm thinking everyone in Scotland has a curly finger if they no, want to beckon you, you somewhere. You don't want the curly finger. Oh, it, wow. it can only mean. Well, that day, that day it was it was a good thing because it was the manager wanted to see me about moving to Norwich. But normally, it's to tell you you're dropped or <laughs> you're not in the squad. I thought it was Alec Neil's own. I no, feel you, betrayed. You can, you can, and when you get it, you're like, oh, this is only going to be bad news. It's only going to be bad news. <laughs> <laughs> you can never, never anything good comes of this. I love it. I'm quite sure Alec would be quite happy to perpetuate that myth that it was his own curly finger. <laughs> good on Alec. Well, well, one day we'll one day we'll get him on the pod. I hope, and then we can have that conversation with him. Um, you 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 were man of the match on your debut against Leeds. Simon, man of the match, champagne. Yeah, um, I played left back that day. Um, and again. Michael, it was all a bit of a whirlwind, just a, a total blur. Um, Adam Drury was suspended, and he, he was captain at the time. So I played left back, and I, I, I done okay. I thought I done okay, especially as you said earlier on, Stuart, about making that jump from Scotland to the Championship. Um, but man of the match, I, I may, maybe modest me, I don't think so. It was probably Dan Huckerby on that day. Um, but because I was one of the new lads, maybe they, they thought that I deserved it. But I was more than happy to take it. Don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> yeah. but, um, Just on that note, were you, were you playing against? I, I didn't see that game. But were you playing against Johnny Housen by any chance? Uh, I don't know if he'd. Made, I don't know if he was maybe too young at the time. He did break in just right. Like, I think it was just the year before he sort of made his debut and stuff. I just wondered if he was in the team for that game because it would have just been an interesting sort of crossover. That was. A... I, I can't. I can't quite remember. Sure, if I'm being no, honest. No, no worries because he sometimes played in the right. So I thought if he was up against you, you might have remembered him. But fair no, but again, what a brilliant guy, a top top player, Johnny. Oh, when, he, when he came to Norwich. Um, did you, you must have heard him about him being sick in his first day of training. Johnny Housen. Johnny Housen. Let's go for it. Now, well, I know he, he was out. <laughs> it, it was so weird because he, he he arrived in the January, didn't he? But he had a knee injury, so he didn't yeah. really... Well, as I said, top player, fantastic guy. But when he, he signed, and I think it was been well documented about the tempo of training when it was under Lambert and, and, and Ian... Um, it was just ridiculous. The tempo of training was just through the roof all the time. And I can remember I'm just saying about what, what they'd been doing at Leeds and it was a bit more relaxed than this, that and the other. And the first day of training, I can remember, we were only doing 
small sided four v four games or something. But he just looked round and Johnny was at the side of the goals chucking his breakfast up everywhere. Oh, no. I think I think he just wasn't used to the tempo of what it had been. Um, wow. But he, he certainly got used to it quickly and what a player he turned out to be for Norwich. I'll tell you what, right, like one of one of the things that I remember about Johnny Housen was I remember reading a story and it was just after like no long after he'd arrived in Norwich. Um, and he said that his his main reason for moving to the club was uh, because of the fishing, ah, the fishing, Norfolk Broads, and I just thought like that if anything could display it as a down to earth footballer and a proper Yorkshire lad. Then there you go. Well, you two might know better than me because I, again. He told us that he was into fishing, and he had a fishing van. Have you That's heard ex- this? Exactly what I was going to bring up with with like I, "Let's Go Fishing" written on the side well, or something, I, wasn't it? I always thought he was winding me up about it, and I think is he serious about this van? Because he talks about it a lot, but. Uh, to this day, I still don't know if it was oh, no. true or not. No, so, no, somebody... no. I mean, I never saw it, but he definitely had that van. Neither did I, Michael. But, um... De- definitely. And but then he also had a Mustang because I remember him rocking up at training, and it was a, it was a beautiful piece of work. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and by the way, it was a great, great shout, Stu, which is why I checked. Um, Johnny Housen actually scored in the game that was your debut, um, and it was, oh, his, it was his first goal for Leeds. It shows you um, how much attention I was <laughs> But he was probably about 12, I think, because he, he went on to be Leeds' youngest uh, youngest captain. And there you go. He was still... Uh, yeah, so, yeah. See, it was a whirlwind, mate, so I think... Yeah, uh, well, yeah, thanks, Joe, thanks. thanks. De- it definitely wasn't a criticism of you, Simon. You had enough going on picking up the champagne from uh, and nicking it from Darren Huckabee. Um, the, the only other thing I wanted to pick up, and we, we need to move this on, obviously, quickly, but I was at Kenilworth Road for your free kick, yeah. which uh, was... Su- it, there's something about, like, football, yeah, of course, you go to Wembley win a playoff final isn't that great blah 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 but I tell you what just in in how you know it was a pretty awful season let's be honest (laughs) for a lot of for a lot of things but to go to Kenilworth Road brilliant game and then to see you hit an absolute peach of a free kick in the last minute to pick up a 3-2 win that basically made sure that Norwich weren't getting relegated and then it being your first goal for the club that was a magic moment especially away from home it always means more when you're away from home it was Michael, and I, I can remember obviously the three-two scoreline. Um, I think it was a bit of a scrappy game more than than anything. But I didn't really realise how. how I, I didn't mean we were in trouble, but um, I didn't realise how close we were to getting dragged into a bit of a relegation dogfight. So it was only after the game and, and the three points, and you thought that's maybe just took us away from that a little bit. Um, but to get your first goal. For the club, it is hugely important, um, and to, to do it in that manner, if you to pick a, a scenario for, for me, I would last minute free kick. Of course, it's just it was, it was an amazing feeling, um, and it was a massive three points at the time, as, as I found out after the game. But it's obviously a totally different season, totally different era, totally different set of circumstances. But like you think of how important the Vranjic moment was last season. You know, um, it's, it's another left-footed yeah. free free kick. You know, and it's like, I mean, it's one thing sort of fighting, avoiding relegation, and then you've got like the other end, obviously winning a championship. But it's these small moments that you remember across the course of a tapestry of an entire football season. So that's that's definitely one to cherish for you, I'm sure. Oh, of course, that's and exactly what you're saying. It is. It's, it's these fine details and, and, and the little things that you know. Mario Vrancic, I'm sure he'll be on the, the training ground practicing that every single day after the training session and 
you'll maybe score three out of ten or two out of ten but when it comes together on that match day that's when all that practice pays off and and they can be the, 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 the small margins that make all the difference. How I'd, much of Beckham were you actually like on that note? You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> no, can't, things, can't, yeah, just compare. Can't compare can't compare can't yourself to in the same breath. I'm better oh, no, than him. In terms of training, <laughs> I just mean the, the level of dedication because there's all the stories about David Beckham. He'd always be there after training, practicing free kicks. How much did you do that? Yeah, I, I did. Always stayed behind um, to practice set pieces, um, especially if we'd been doing them. Um, leading up to a prep for the, the Saturday and a Thursday, we'd always walk through about a team shape and, and set pieces. And e- even though you're you're going through them, you'd always stay behind after training and, and do a few extra just to. But it is it's it's these things that you, you can't just turn up on a Saturday and hope they come off. You obviously have to put the work in in the training ground unless you're one of the elite players on earth. You can just turn up and, and these things happen. But for myself, it was a case of having to continuously keep on top of it and, and practice it all the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember watching Mario Vrancic take four free kicks in the warm-up in the game after he'd scored the game, uh, the free kick in Sheffield Wednesday and he missed the target with all four. That's all I'm oh, saying there. there. <laughs> um, uh, something probably Peter couldn't quite manage himself, but have you got a quick word for Peter Grant? <laughs> oh, he was brilliant. An absolutely fantastic man, Michael. Um I'm eternally grateful to him for signing me and giving me the opportunity at Norwich. A really fantastic coach. And when it all kind of happened that he was leaving the club, I was so disappointed for him because he was so enthusiastic about the club. He wanted to take it forward. He was trying to do things his way. And it just it just didn't happen for him. But a fantastic man and a great coach. And I think if you speak to anybody in football, anybody that's worked with them, they'll, they'll say the exact same thing. Fantastic guy. He's got a great family as well. Um, they were really great helping us settle in, my wife and I, when we moved down. Um, and as I say, I was gutted it never worked out for him. He's, uh, he's, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to him when I've had the chance. And um, yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of, it, it says how much he's had a coaching career in the game, either side of that, you know, that just, yeah. it, clearly he's got, you know, he's very good at that. After um, after Grant, it was, it was Glenn, um, which I I've guess is... <laughs> no idea who that is. <laughs> I mean... Um, there were some funny things. I really reminded myself of there was the three nil defeat at, at Plymouth, where he he just kind of laid into the side, and then there, was there something where he kept criticised six players after a reserves game against Ipswich, and then you were one of those. Is that all true? Um, the Plymouth game, I can remember. I played left back that day again, and Ian Murray played left midfield. Who Ian was a Murray. Defender. <gasps> Ian um, Murray. Ah, that's the wrong way, but. Well, that's that's what it was down to, Stuart. That's what it boils down to. Uh, <laughs> no, we were we were we were terrible that day um, and deserved to lose the game. But that that was the start of a bit of a a tough time for myself at Norwich. Um, I, can, I remember playing in an Ipswich reserve game, um, and there must have been a, a, I don't know five or six senior first team players in, in the game. Uh, sorry, in the squad, and, and we lost. And again, it's just it's it's easy then to criticise players um, who are low in confidence, and because that that's what happens when you go out the side. Football is a confidence game. When you you go out the side, obviously it takes a dent. When you go out the squad, 
all together, it's obviously it's, it's going to be even more of a dent to your confidence. Yeah. And then to go and play in a reserve game, you're you're sort of on a hiding to nothing at that point. Um, a lot of senior players when they play in the reserves are using it for fitness, or they know they've got an opportunity to play in uh, the first team if they do well in that. Um, but that was it was more of one of them. We'll throw them in here and. It's an easy option to to criticise them if they lo- if they lose. So, but I, it, it was one of these things. I mean, I got I, I think it got to the point where you were training with the reserve with the youth team, completely yeah. alienated. And I remember obviously I was covering the club while Glenn was there, and he he I, I seemed to get the idea that he he quite liked the, having the confrontation and friction. I mean, I think at one point he even said in a press conference, it, it almost like he creates it because it's it's energy around the place. And I, I mean, clearly that that can be quite, can quite destructive and a, a very difficult situation when you're trying to keep um, keep people on side, I suppose, or keep a squad together. But then if you get a settled side, he did actually manage to get some good results at times as well, or, or maybe an initial reaction is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Listen, everybody's got different methods and, and different ways of doing things. Um, I'd say 99. In fact, 100% of what he did, I would disagree with. Um, <laughs> That's I would, never, I would never take forward into uh, if, I, if I ever go into managing or uh, management or coaching in a professional environment. Uh, but listen, as I said, everybody's got their own way of doing things. Um, not everybody's going to agree with each other. And like I said, I didn't agree with the way he did things. And I think over the course of the time since he left the club, I think you would see that a lot of players have said the same thing. And you had the nail on the head there as well, Michael, about keeping people on side. Um, and again, going back to Andy Mirrenshew from my time at St Mirren, mm-hmm. he's, other than obviously my wife and my parents who you speak to every day, Andy was always the one I would speak to for advice, even to this day. Mm-hmm. I still keep in touch with him and as a good friend. Um, and I can remember him giving me loads of advice about it and talking about when you come out the other side that I should be a stronger character and, and things. And one thing I can remember him saying that stuck with me was that managers will need players before players need managers, which turns out to be the case 99% of the time. So it's so important that they keep players on side because you never know when they're going to need them, when injuries, suspensions kick in. Yeah. If you've treated somebody like Dirk, and then you need them to play for you, you don't expect them to, to go to the wheel for you and run yourself into the ground for somebody that's treated you like that. No, no, I, I get that. So see for like your your kind of everyday fan, like I mean, um <clears throat> I can totally understand the, the sort of the idiosyncrasies of that kind of relationship. And I don't think it's sustainable long term to alienate people and, and, and then expect to to have overriding success in charge of something. But um, but like for the everyday fan who's thinking right so you've been out the team whether you like the manager or not if you then come back in how can it still be hard to, to sort of achieve that level of performance when obviously the hunger is there to prove yourself even if it's not to the manager himself you want to you want to stay in the team you want to be playing football essentially so so what, what's the kind of line there in terms of achieving that level of performance despite the the I don't know be, not necessarily getting on with the manager personal pride I, I'm not saying that if, if that happens, a player will go out and purposely play bad or not try, because you, you, that's first and foremost. You always have your personal pride. But as I said, some managers, and I had it with Lambert, I've had it with other managers since, 
you are desperate to do well for them. You don't want to let them down. And it's not a it's not a fear thing, it's a respect thing that you don't want to let them down. But certain managers, as I said, a player will always go out and give their all. Of course they will, because that's why they're professional footballers and, and, and that's just ingrained in them. But as I'm saying, there's certain managers you feel like, I can't let him down today. And when you've got that extra little edge there, that obviously just kicks you on even more. How um, how hard did it get? Like, what what was the hardest point? And, and also... What what kind of kept you going? <laughs> what 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 kept you there? Well, it, obviously it's difficult, Michael. Um, I'd only been at the club a year, but my wife and I would moved down and, and we loved the place. Um, and I, I, the biggest thing for me at the time was I'd, I'd worked so hard for seven, I think it was seven years at St Mirren to get an opportunity to come to Norwich. Um, not necessarily just Norwich but the chance to, to get to England it so happens it was Norwich um, and I'd worked so hard and I didn't want to just leave because I, I, I could have went back to Scotland right away but I didn't just want to leave and, and chuck the towel in after only just under a year I think it was Would it have felt uh, a bit like sort of tail between your legs kind of admitting defeat? No I, I wouldn't I, no, I wouldn't say that Stuart. I, would, I wouldn't say that but I just I wanted to Prove that I, I could cut it down here. Um, I get that. And it's just what keeps you going. Again, it's just the thought of if I get back in that team or if the manager does go as well. I'm not saying I was hanging around for that to happen, but you're just waiting for that opportunity. And in the meantime, in between, then I, I went on loan to Motherwell because it got to that point I did need game time. Yeah. And I went to Motherwell. Mark McGee was, was brilliant and gave me the opportunity to go and play there. I think I played. 15 or 16 games and the second you get, half of the season did you get a curly finger from him or <laughs> I don't think I did actually at any point no no. Um, but again just to go and try and get some confidence back and even that summer um, I think before the last game of the season I did get the curly finger actually from my fingers as well like I'm just thinking I'm picturing Martin's fingers and my big sausage things <laughs> It was brilliant, and he just said, "Look, I'd love to have you back next season." And I told, I was open and honest with him. I just said, "Look, I'm going to go back to Norwich for pre-season and see what happens." Um, and that's what I did. I came back, and again, did pre-season, but was it was sort of still out of the picture. But a lot of people maybe might not know, but towards the end of his um, management, he brought me back in to the first team. Um, Glenn, is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's him. We did say Glenn Roder, didn't we? I'm just checking I, we'd said his second name. I'm not going around if we didn't have it. training with the first team and I got back on the bench. I was in the squad. And I can remember one day he made a point of um, praising me in training. And at that point, it meant nothing to me. It meant, it meant absolutely nothing, his praise, because I'd been performing well in training, whatever it was. And in front of the group, and it was almost like it, it meant absolutely nothing at that point. And then it wasn't so much longer before um, he was gone. Yes, I think it all unraveled pretty quickly after that. Um, and once Gunny was in, I think it was when you got a, a new deal. And so at yeah. that point, you're kind of um, you're kind of uh, in the in the groove again. Yeah, and again, Gunny, we all know what a legend he is at the club. He's a fantastic man, um, and I, and I'm eternally grateful 
to him, like with likewise with uh, with Granty, for bringing me back into the fold. Um, albeit we get relegated that season, but um, and giving me a new contract when we did get relegated. Uh, I'm eternally grateful to him um, because what happened from then on in to me at Norwich was just I could never have envisaged it six months before that it was just incredible it was absolutely remarkable so for the context of that we just need to know how bad it was so um, just because um, you know the, the relegation obviously was uh, and and then the start of the season with the Colchester game I mean what what kind of sums up that period for you? Is there a memory or a moment that you just think? Well, oh, yeah. it was. Um, it was. <laughs> that was a year we got married. Uh, well, I don't so wouldn't I can, blame it on that. <laughs> so I can. I can. Re- <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Uh, I can remember obviously getting relegated um, away to Charlton, and it was just one of the days. That the, the pit of your stomach. You feel sick. It's horrible and. Yeah, listen, it's not life or death, but it just means so much to so many people. Um, and I can remember just total silence on the bus on the way back and just total dejection, sorry, dejection. But as I said, I was getting married that summer and I can remember I was out of contract and we were sitting in honeymoon in the Maldives, <laughs> my wife I and I. <laughs> and I was just, and I'm thinking, as we're ordering another <laughs> bottle of champagne, and I think I don't have a job <laughs> signing for these bottles of champagne, <laughs> and you just obviously you can enjoy it. But I can remember Gunny, even after and before I, I went away, not he was saying like I'd love to keep you in the club and uh, we'll, we'll make you an offer and things. So um, when we come back from there, I signed. I think it was a two-year contract at the time, and it was brilliant—a chance to to get back get my career up and running again at the club um, and obviously again it was sad to see Gunny go because of what what he is to the club he's a, mm. an absolute icon at the club um, and it was sad to see him go but again he gave me that contract and I'm, I'm really thankful to him for that and I, what what was the starkest change then when Paul Lambert came in from the group that was there before because I mean it's it's hard. I mean, I think Gunny probably laughs at it now in in terms of how in in some ways, but I imagine it probably hurts quite a lot as well. Oh, in of course, terms of the start of that season. Yeah, it was just the pre-season. I said, you know what it's like in football. Pre-season was going great um, in terms of the squad that it assembled or whatever it had been and um, beaten as well. Well, this is the thing that I was going to say. So a few people had been going on about this and. I can remember the results were, were great um, and being undefeated but you'll have heard this so many times in football and the lads were all the same you know people were making a thing oh great pre-season great results but it counts for nothing come that first game of the season um, and we were on it all pre-season and Gunny had brought in a, a few new players and, and whatnot. Um I said we've been okay during pre-season, but we were miles off at that first day at home at Colchester. Absolutely yeah. miles off it, and I, I was on the bench that day, and I was can remember just sitting. Well, that's thinking, good. What is going on here? <laughs> it was just, it was incredible, and um, I can remember him turning to Cody McDonald and myself, and it was Cody had scored. He scored the goal. He did that day. I'm sure mm-hmm. he did. The comeback um, was on for for a couple of minutes. 
and he said so he'd put Cody on then he said to myself they'll be getting ready and I'm thinking what am I going to do it's, it's like five or six one <laughs> can I think and eventually I think he I, I can't remember if he made changed his mind I never said that to him but I was thinking to myself <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to make much of an impact here <laughs> so um, no it was, it was a dreadful day um, and it, it could not, not have got off to a worse start obviously yeah it was Yeovil in the cup a couple of days after that it was and we, we got a better result and um, but obviously the club had, had made their mind up at that point about um, letting Gunny go and again as I said he, he gave me a contract and I'm really grateful and always will be uh, to him for that but obviously at that point when, when Mr Lambert came in and yeah. everything changed Poor old, poor old Gunny. Got I think his reward for that four 0 win over Yeovil was to be sent home on his on his own on the train because everyone was staying up. I think the Exeter game was then the following Saturday. Yeah, that's right. Um, we played we played the Exeter. We stayed down for a few days. That's right. We didn't know much about it either about the ins and outs of things. It was um, Gunny had called a meeting. Uh, we were in the hotel for a few days between the Yeovil game and the, the Exeter game on the Saturday, and we trained down there. And then he'd called a meeting uh, with all with all the lads and 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 just told them that he'd obviously been been dismissed. Um, it's never nice to to see somebody, especially just a genuinely good person, um, and obviously a legend at the club, as I said before. Absolutely. What? Um, so when when Paul walks into the building, what? Well, the obvious question, I suppose, is what changed. But what what what's the what's the thing that sticks in your mind with Paul? Walking into that job, obviously having come up against him just a you know a week earlier, basically. Yeah, just his his presence as soon as he came in, um, and I think at that point we'd played Brentford and we'd lost, and I can't remember if we were bottom of the league or second bottom or something at, at that time when he when he got the job. Yeah, but I, mean, <sighs> I think it was. I think the only team below you was Southampton because they were minus fifteen points or whatever from administration. Okay. So, we, so we'd got off the flyer. <laughs> we'd got off an absolute flyer, and um, he came in to the, the changing room at, at Colney, and he just told us how it was. He told us he'd, he'd watched the game the night before or whenever it had been. Um, he told us he didn't think we were fit enough, which we weren't, obviously, um, and we would have to get up to speed quickly. And the one thing that he said, and at the time, to, to anybody else, you'd be like, you're off your head. He said, we're going to win the league. And when he said that, it was just total silence, obviously, when he was speaking anyway. Um, but it was just like a kind of gasp around the dressing room, like, we're going to win the league. But when he said it, and I, I think I speak for all the lads or, or most of them in the dressing room, you believed them. You, you just thought, do you know what? We are. And it was, it was. I'm not saying that we knew it was like a premonition that we knew we were going to win the league or anything, but we just thought he said to Bayern what he's going to do. He obviously brought Ian with him and, and Gary, um, and Bayern to what they were going to do, and we all did. We bought into what they were saying, and it was just the start of a an unbelievable ride for the for the next three years. It was just absolutely. No, I don't think anybody could have seen it coming. Players, fans, anybody on the outside of the club could have saw what was about to happen. It was just unbelievable. It, it, was, it was absolutely amazing, as you say, but I always look at what Paul Lambert did at Norwich City and I can't help but feel that the principles you mentioned, Gary and Ian, 
Um, I can't help but feel that his, his sort of identikit was very much based on the work that Martin O'Neill, another former Norwich City alumni, alumnus, um, yeah. did at Celtic, where he had Steve Walford and John Robertson as his two sort of lieutenants, you know, um, yeah. in the in the kind of backroom staff. Um, do, do, can you see a bit of sort of evidence in that parallel as well, in the in the fact that I mean, if you look at if you look at Lambert's career and he stopped working so much being Culver House, it's it's not really been the same sort of level of success that he's had subsequently, you know. So I'm yeah. wondering how important those lieutenants were um, oh. in, in terms of that, that, that whole dynamic there. So everyone obviously looks at Lambert, but there was there, there was a team of three, you know? Absolutely, sure. And I think, obviously, as I said before, about working with certain managers, and if, I've never been a manager, I've not been in management, So, but if I ever did, you, you take certain things from managers you work with that you like, you take things that you don't like so much and you think, I'll oh, maybe not use that. So a lot of the things it's been well documented since he has taken from Martin O'Neill. I'd never worked under Martin O'Neill, so I couldn't possibly tell you. But he brought in. I think he first came across Ian Gary when he went to Wickham, mm-hmm. and obviously loved working with him because he took him to Colchester and brought them to Norwich, and they were a perfect fit for what the club needed at that time. And we had Ian Crook as well, who was brilliant. He he stayed, um, and along with uh, Paul, Ian, and Gary. Ian Crook stayed, and fantastic guy as well, top top man. He is, and and they're just a perfect fit at that time. And they just totally regalvanized the club. They just took it with a scruff of the neck and dragged us all along with them. And the, the crowd bought into it. The, 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 the players all bought into it. The crowd bought into it, and, and it was just. Unbelievable, but so just on that run in League One, I mean, you as I said, you you were like a mainstay of that side. You were crucial, and Paul Lambert brought the forty-two games thing. Was that? I, th- I believe you were the the top appearance holder that season. Am I right in saying that? Oh. I think yeah, yeah, I think so, Stu. Oh. Yeah, good um, knowledge, Stu. Yeah, and, and you did your homework. Face, <laughs> <laughs> because um, Steve wanted to ask how much playing on the left of a, of a diamond formation suited you? I mean, I, I've always thought basically that the diamond came in because everyone kept trying to play Wes on the left and, and he's he's much better at the tip of a diamond. So Paul Lamp was like, well, obviously I'll do that once he'd, you know, decided not to sell him or let him out on loan. Yeah, I, I just, again, obviously Paul and Ian spoke about it and decided to give that a go. And I think it, it didn't just click right away. Obviously it takes a bit of work. Um, but they had the perfect squad, the group of players to to, to fill in to work at a midfield diamond. Um, but when it clicked, teams found it very difficult to stop us. Um, everybody in the team knew their role, and my role in the team, first of all, working hard. Obviously, we all did. But to try and get the ball back and get it to one of these players like a Wesley and Chrissy Martin or a Grant Holt, or one of the, the, the creative front three, the, the, whoever was playing at the time. And myself, I think it was more myself, Daryl Russell, Corey, um, as a kind of midfield three. I mean, you had, to cover, you had to cover a lot of ground, didn't you? Well, I know, tell me about it, Michael. Honestly, <laughs> see, see when I used to walk back to my car after the game, it was it was absolute torture. No, but we knew what we were, what we were in for, and we loved it. We all loved that working hard and... I can go back to his first day. He said we weren't fit enough. He's, I can remember the first Tuesday training session that we did. Tuesday was normally the working day. It's the hardest Tuesday session 
<laughs> I have ever done in my career. It was it was never ending. And I thought, we can't do this every single week. <laughs> because it was he said that we're going to have to catch up because pre-season was gone. There was no time to, to, to get fit. We had to catch up over the course of the season in between playing games. But we did. We caught up and we were a, a really fit team, especially if you're going to play that way, you need to be. And it wasn't yeah. just the midfield. It was the fullbacks, Adam Drury and, and Russell Martin. They had to be so fit getting up and down all the time. Um, but we loved it. We loved that feeling of working hard and, and more often than not getting getting the really positive results it was I, it was brilliant i hate to distill the whole 2009-10 season into one memory but what what sticks in your mind about it and it doesn't have to be you know the celebrations at the end because we know they're all great but is there one one moment any point during the season where you just think oh yeah i think obviously it goes without saying about the celebration and Charlton and everything but i think i can't remember if it was wickham away when we went top of the league Corey scored yeah, Corey scored the one one nil. Um I, I can't remember if we went into the top two or we actually went top. But thinking back to the, as I said, when, when Paul first came into that dressing room and saying we're going to win the league when we're sitting second bottom, to all of a sudden within a four or five month period, whatever it might have been, you're sitting top of the league and you're thinking, Do you know what, we are going to do this and we just that momentum just carried all the way through to the end of the season and we knew that we weren't going to win every single game um, but that, that Wickham game when we went top of the league definitely stands out beautiful I think that was on New Year's Day wasn't it I think I, I know I wasn't at it it was one of the ones I missed but oh, God, I can't remember Michael it was long, long time ago now what long time ago was what, funny what, what was that a football as well that it was Wickham you know like yeah. obviously with the Lambert connect he's always yeah. his former club yeah. um, the other thing that sticks in my mind um, a couple of seasons along was, was in your Premier League debut at QPR yeah because it was what I think 11 months since your last league start and uh, there was a, obviously a few Injuries, but that was a great performance. You you played really well, and and you know it's like your Premier League debut. And I think I think there was a bit of like oh Simon Lappin yeah. at the start. And uh, again, it was only a handful of appearances in the Premier League I made, Michael. But nobody can take that away from it. it's coming without from... tasting defeat. Was that yeah yeah without yeah. tasting defeat? <laughs> Did you just say there? Oh uh, yeah, without tasting it exactly. I forgot to throw that in. Um, <laughs> No, as a kid, as I said, I always wanted the opportunity to play in England, and I, I did that. But as a kid, any kid watching Match of the Day or whatever it is that's into football, you think, oh, God, I'd love to play in the Premier League. And for me to go on and do that was just absolutely incredible. Um, it had been a while. I, I, the season before, the run into to getting promoted, um, I can't remember when it was. It leads away, and I my appendix had went. Yes, I, I, I didn't even I'd get a chance missed, to mention that. Yeah, and I'd missed a, a few games after that and getting back to fitness and, and coming on in games and whatever towards the running. And then when we get promoted, um, new players come in and, and it's one of them that obviously it's a challenge to, to get in the side in one of the best leagues, if not the best league in the world. But again, going back to what we're talking about managers, I never for a minute, and this was the same if any of the lads at the time that maybe weren't in the match day squad you still felt part of it and you felt like you could be called upon at any given time to go into that's the side management, that. it is exactly that's true because that's keeping people on side and you know that when that call comes you have to be ready and it just so happens that my debut I wasn't ready because I thought I'm not going to be involved tomorrow again and um, 
they got to the, the, the ground. Um, obviously, at Loftus Road to play QPR. And I remember him coming in. And he never said much before games. He would just read out his 18 players. Um, I want to win the game. Just a couple of words. But he came in and he unfurled his bit of paper with the squad list. And he said, I'm going to change it up a bit today. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I might go on the bench. <laughs> and I was on the starting 11. I'm thinking, oh, no, maybe shouldn't I eat that other dairy milk I had last <laughs> night or whatever it was. <laughs> Brilliant. But obviously, just total adrenaline took over to go and play in the Premier League um, I think I played about, I don't know 65 minutes or something and, and again it'd been a while since I'd played and going back to what we're talking about playing reserve games you played in these games knowing that you could be called upon rather than under other managers we spoke about previously um, <laughs> so you, you've got that kind of base fitness and then, as I said that adrenaline just to go and play and and then the Premier League with that badge on your sleeve and playing with the Premier League but all these little things that footballers that's where they want to be and as I said I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to do it I have a feeling was that the game that Joey Barton got sent off in? yeah it was yeah and, and yeah. then obviously Bradley Johnson went to the darts afterwards and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah good fun yeah we'll leave yeah, that one for it? another day when we get yeah, Brad yeah. on um it's hugely enjoyable. We've still got so much to get through, um, but we're going to do it really quickly. Um, no uh, problem. Chris, Chris Hewton, um, uh, like a sentence to sum up Chris Hewton? Because you weren't sort of there under him very long. It was only a few months, wasn't it? No, I, and here, here's a, I think this is a fact. I scored the first goal under Chris Hewton's, for my, for my goal scoring record. Oof. There you go, there you go. His first competitive goal. Well, it must I'm be sure pre-season. Oh, oh no, competitive, competitive golf. Oh yeah, because they yeah, because yeah, the opening We'd day lost, wasn't great, was it? <laughs> lost, yeah, exactly. There's something about that in the opening days when Norwich. No, but yeah. Chris Hutton is one of the most lovely guys I've ever met in football, and I think everybody that you know yourself, Michael, having dealt with him, he's a fantastic guy. Um, but he was just a bit different to Lambert, and at the time when he took over, Paul had left, and at the end of the season, I'd had a conversation with him to say look I need to go and play and it's been brilliant but I need to go and play but at the time there was all the talk about him going to Villa and I can remember asking him so what's happened with yourself because I, I had to know for my sake I was still under contract um, he didn't give much away as I knew would be the case yeah. but eventually he did leave so I think well I'm going to stick it out and see who comes in and I might get an opportunity um, and for a spell during pre-season it was between myself and Mark Tierney We'd been playing left back, and mm. um, I, couldn't, I think it was just before deadline day, and they brought in Javier Garrido as well. So I knew I'd be number yeah. three in the pecking order at that point. But Chris was a fantastic guy. He was. He was. He was always honest and upfront with you. Um, but again, just a, a bit different to the way Lambert had been. But he still had success at Norwich as well. Okay, let's wheel out our fourth time at our Carrow Road Classics. These are the questions we ask each of our uh, Canaries Chain gang. I'm sure Simon is ready for these. So, um, Fight away, mate. Let's do it. Uh, your Norwich City highlight. <sighs> Pick one. Um, yeah. I think getting promoted to the Premier League. Playing in the Premier League obviously is a great thing, but the actual feeling of getting there that game at Portsmouth the night after the celebrations after it, getting getting promoted to the Premier League. Russ in his pants, it all came together. No, don't remind me. <laughs> just, just trying to get out of my brain. <laughs> um your favourite teammate. Oh 
That's a tough one. Um, do you know what? Even though I said I'm one of the moaniest players when it comes to football, off the pitch, I would like to think I got on with all of them. Do you know what sure. I mean? It's hard to... They might tell you different. They might... Yeah. But I would like to think... Just that group we had over that three-year period, as we spoke about, everybody seemed to go on with everybody. Yeah. And it's hard to narrow down. <laughs> Obviously... Who was your roommate? Who did you spend most time with? Around with Leon Barnett, more often okay. than not. Yeah. Um, brilliant big guy. Um, top man, great player. Um, so it made a good understanding. We both had young kids at the time that when it got to a certain point, lights were out and whatever, <laughs> any chance for a sleep. So I around with quite a lot of lads over the course of the time, but it was mostly Barney. Um, but no, I'll see I got on with everybody. They might tell you different. Oh, so you're completely bottling it. No problem. No, um, not at all. <laughs> uh, someone you had to make up with? Probably all of them as well, oh. because I was so moany. Um, <laughs> one day I can remember, as I said, I never, I never got into a physical scrap or anything, but I can remember one day Elliot Bennett, when we were training. Um, you didn't upset <laughs> Elliot, did you? I showed you how moany I was. Oh my gosh. Um, it was just just a game and something is petty, but again, it's just the competitive nature of footballs. The ball went out for a throw in or a kick in, whatever it was, and we were arguing over whose ball it was. I mean, I talk about petty, but as soon as the game had finished, we were big hugs and all friends again. So, But that, 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 that's only one... Um, <laughs> it really sticks to mind. Probably the only man that's fallen out with Elliot Bennett. <laughs> Great guy. Fantastic uh, yeah. guy. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, how about your top three Norwich goals? This should be good because you only got four. So, which one? Oh, what... <laughs> uh, and and uh, in order, so top th- so in third place, um, I'll go for my goal against Scunthorpe in the Cup, my Excellent. last goal. Yeah. Um, Second place, the one against Cardiff. Yes. Which I scored, for, I think it was about 40 yards or it something. The, goal, the goalkeeper shanked it. Um, <laughs> that's a great and goal, number man. one, obviously, I'll go for the one away to Luton. So um, what, what's the only one that's missed out? I scored against, I'm sure it was Barnett in oh, the yeah. Carling Cup, which was, do you know what, it was a great strike into the top corner as well. But just the fact that Luton goal, obviously, at number one, um, and the fact that my first and last goal <laughs> yeah. not, many, not many in between but my um, first and last goals have got to be in there I think we've drawn that one out well um, if you bumped into a Norwich fan on the street now what would you say to them? On the ball city lovely that might have been that might have been what Crofty said I can't remember now um, and finally nominate a former Norwich teammate to come on next and we'll do our best but, to make well, it happen can we oh, do I who will. I was, who we were talking about before we came on here? If you want. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm it was joking. it was it was David Strahavka, um, who, oh. by the way, I would love to speak. I, as I said, I, I said to you off air. I still think he, I still think he had something. For for a couple of, I think he was only there a matter of months. But he was a lovely big guy. But no, my, my nomination um, for to come on next, and I, I think I have to do it because he's actually my boss now. 
Um, wow. An absolute legend at the you, club. You I, came I in I, and nicked his place, and and now he's your boss. An <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolute legend at the club is, 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 and a great mate of mine as well. It's got to be Adam Drury. So I'm sure the fans would would love to hear from him. Well, we'll have to see if we can convince him. When I say we, I mean me. But, yeah, um, yeah, that's down to you. I've done oh. my bit. I've nominated him. That's now up to you, mate. <laughs> I'll try and be nice to him. I love it. Um, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for no, all your thanks time. Thanks for having me, Michael. Great to speak to you. That will be it for On The Ball this week. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed it. And if you did, please tell your friends, family and fellow Norwich supporters. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, just sling me a, a tweet or direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey. Uh, in the meantime, a big thank you to Simon Lappin. And of course, a thanks to you all out there for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week, hopefully with another Canaries companion and hopefully with Mr. Lappin's nomination. Uh, that will be our next edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, good night. <laughs>